0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of season two of the God in Film podcast, where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that cinema has to offer and see if we can find any elements that have parallels with the gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm media coordinator and guy your mother warned you about, Giles Goff, And I'm filmmaker and leprechaun in training, Phil Coleman. And during this time of historical turning point, we'll be trying to stave off the desire to scream obscenities at presidential debates by strapping our film geek glocks on to analyse training day. The 2001 cop drama starring Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke, directed by Antoine Fuqua. Now, it's important to note that whilst our podcast is clean, this film is most distinctly not, so please be advised. We'll be looking at the issues of integrity, temptation, and the difference between degree and category. Phil, what did you think of this film? It's
1: just so bloody
0: intense.
1: Like, yeah, like it's it's yeah. got a little bit of a reprieve just at the start and yeah. I say the word reprieve, but like it's not even gotten into it yet. <laughs> and you just and that's the carbest bloody bit of the film, you know. Mm-hmm. And you've got then Denzel Washington just sort of like swans in just kinda of like, Yeah, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna make your day really hard. You know <laughs> it's just Not that he says it in that kind of way, but like, you know, he he says a lot more swear words. It was just one of those films that it just, it grabs you and it does not let go, even even until the last few minutes. It's brilliant. Mm. I really enjoyed it.
0: I love this film. Like, my gosh, I love this film. I was just the right age when this film came out. It was 2001. I was 18, and I had no idea what to expect. But I came out of it feeling so much cooler just by watching it. You know the way <laughs> Alonzo kind of walks around all in black and leather and all of it, gets into the Monte Carlo car? I came out of Cineworld in No Junction with my black leather jacket on, walking like a screaming badass to my Metro. I could just... <laughs> I can just imagine you walking out it's kind of like, yes, uh, you don't want to mess
1: with me. <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 you know, words to that effect.
0: <laughs> for legal reasons, listeners, I have never had a North Walian accent. No, least... I know,
1: but because I know you're from Wales, that's just how I imagine you in my head for some weird reason. I don't know why. I mean,
0: if anything, <laughs> I think training day is due for a Welsh remake. Now listen. <laughs> training day. Do you want to go to jail or do you want to go home and tell? Ta- I suggest you smoke this crack pipe now, otherwise it's going to go
1: very badly for you. I don't know why he's from South Wales now, but still, you know.
0: It's okay, that is okay. This, Believe it or not, <laughs> this was one of the first DVDs I ever bought. Uh, I think it was the first one I ever bought from a, a shop. And mm-hmm. I had the, the soundtrack, and... Oh, the soundtrack is is tailor-made for me. It was just... It just pops, you know, it's, there's, there's little inserts from the, um, from, from the film in it that have stuck in my head as a result, you know, just fantastic. Anyway, I could enthuse about this all day, <laughs> but without further ado, let's get on to Phil's Facts.
1: Okay, so Training Mm -hmm. Day is a 2001 American crime thriller film directed by Antoine Fuqua and written by David Ayer, who is a lot more famous now than he was then. Yeah, yeah, Uh, Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke stars two LAPD narcotics officers over a 12-hour period in the gang-ridden neighbourhoods of Westlake, Echo Park and South Central in Los Angeles. During the scene when Jake plays cards with the Latino gangsters, director Antoine Fuqua gave certain instructions to the actors playing the gangsters without telling Ethan Hawke and this was done to further confuse him and add that little bit of tension to the scene as well mm. obviously he doesn't know why he's playing card with them he's had a pretty rough day yeah <laughs> and you know but I thought it was quite interesting that you know that that kind of directorial technique
0: yeah the way you want to create a sort of genuine disconnect between the actors you know yeah. it's, it's yeah. really interesting that T Rogers the founder of the Black Pea Stones Bloods in
1: Baldwin Village aka the Jungles in Los Angeles was on set for all of the filming in his neighbourhood. And allowed the producer to use his neighborhood in exchange for casting gang members.
0: Well, first of all, I'm not even a little bit surprised because it no. has that feel to it. That most iconic scene towards the end of the film, where he's saying, "King Kong ain't got nothing on me." They build jails because of me. Do you see the person standing <laughs> in front of him after after Ethan Hawke has left? He, he, he looks mean. It's he
1: looks Terry like
0: Crews.
1: Oh yeah, of course, it's Terry Crews. Yeah, <laughs> he's the um. I looked this up. He's the pigeon flipper.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. The guy,
1: he's just there clapping like that. Uh, that's 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 cherry yeah, as well. It's just,
0: like. just one of those delightful things that obviously he wasn't he wasn't famous in the same way 19 years ago, and now you see him in, and it's fantastic. You know, he's
1: in, he's, I see him in AGT all the time when I watch it release yeah <laughs> and he's like I, the nicest person ever to live <laughs>
0: you know absolutely I mean? the other thing is um back in 2001 Eva Mendez, who plays Alonso's wife she wasn't famous at the time either you know it was I'm, um i was
1: surprised to see her in it because she wasn't like a main role in it or anything like that yeah. she wasn't advertised for a main role in it. nowadays Eva Mendez is like a more of a, she, a, a Hollywood household she, name isn't it so. exactly
0: anyway what else have you got for me so Toby Maguire
1: was seriously considered for the part of officer Jake Hoyt he even followed uh undercover narcotics officers in Los Angeles for two months and gained weight for the role. He was dropped when Ethan Hawke, Fuqua's first choice, was finally available for the shooting schedule. Now, I don't have official confirmation that Ethan Hawke was Fuqua's um, first choice. Toby was definitely in the running, yeah. so stands to reason more the, than likely yeah. is true.
0: When these kind of rumours come along, there's always there's there's so many different rumours like this which are, have different levels of credibility to them. It could be yeah. that you had a conversation over the phone and it could be that the script went to your to your agent or it could be that you met with the producer and the directors and all the rest of it and then you, you the contract fell through due to scheduling do you know one of the things they have in Hollywood with films is they negotiate a uh, priority so <laughs> so for example uh, the best example would be mission impossible the uh, the one with henry cavill where he has oh, the yeah, mustache oh yeah 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 and because that movie had the, the priority, they could, that's why they didn't shave the, the moustache off for, oh for the reshoots and, and that's why I know? had
1: that god-awful, very famously god-awful
0: yeah.
1: moustache CGI'd out. One <laughs>
0: thing I can definitely say is they definitely made the right choice with uh, Ethan Hawke. Absolutely just owns that role. He's a wonderful <laughs> actor. Uh, what, what else have you got
1: for me? When the movie came out, many viewers and critics were sceptical of the scenes where Jake Hoyt smokes marijuana laced with PCP. And Alonzo's explanation of how a cop who didn't take drugs offered to him on the street would be ID'd as police and murdered. David Ayer responded in an interview by holding up a highlighted section of the LAPD's rules and regulations, and it stated that officers were allowed to use narcotics in very specific undercover situations and hewed closely to what Alonzo sold Jake. So if they're undercover, it has to be absolutely necessary. Yeah. Yeah, for them yeah, to yeah. not break cover and actually sort of be able to catch the person they're tailing but like if you're just doing it just because you just like weed then <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean that's that's just illegal <laughs> yeah. so you shouldn't be doing that the license plate on Alonzo's car is ORP967 which is a nod to Officer Rafael Perez the disgraced LAPD officer who was born in 1967 and on whom the character of Alonzo was based
0: yes we're going to get into that later I was looking at the number plate and I couldn't quite twist. So that's that's fantastic. I that's, thought that was pretty interesting myself, actually. Yeah,
1: this movie is unique in Academy Awards history in that it's the only time an African American Denzel Washington won the best. An African
0: American Denzel Washington. An African American. As opposed Denzel to white Denzel Washington or, or, just... or Asian <laughs> Denzel Washington.
1: I've I've just I'm just reading it. I've just read it from how I've written it and I've realised that I suggest that there are many Denzel Washingtons of different races I love
0: the idea that there's like like in in the multiple universe (laughs) theory there are many Denzel's all of all of different races this is, and This Queens. is Hispanic
1: Denzel. Oh And yes. we've
0: got Italian Denzel. Welsh Denzel. <laughs> Welsh Denzel. Welsh Denzel. Welsh Denzel. Like well, Welsh Training Day. You and me, we could definitely do that. Can I'll be, be Alonso. <laughs> you can be Hoyt. It'll be fantastic. Can,
1: can we just take like the most iconic scenes from Training Day and just turn it into a short film called yes, Welsh Training Day? Yes, it's please. Just set in Garewen,
0: driving around the tough streets of Sanditno.
1: yeah that that, yes please thank you um so i'm gonna start that one slightly differently um Yeah, unique in the Academy Awards History in that it's the only time an African-American man, Denzel Washington, won the Best Actor Oscar as directed by a fellow African-American man, Antoine Fuqua. Love it. <laughs> Although, to be honest, what we were talking about is so much more interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, So the F word is used 211 times. Is that all? Can you imagine saying the F word just over and over 211
0: times? You'd have to put out a portion of your day. I think you've never taught secondary. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) 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 where i think you find there are plenty of reasons to do so you just have to fit it in when the kids aren't around you know i mean oh I wouldn't
1: mind, mate, but I've worked in hospitality all my
0: life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There is plenty of opportunities to say that word. I've only got a couple more anyway. Okay. uh, So the original ending had Alonzo getting away with his crimes, but Denzel Washington insisted that it be amended so he gets his comeuppance. Denzel is a firm Christian. And the first thing he wrote on his script was, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God and he it was quoted as saying, life. and he said, um, in order for me to justify him living in the worst way, he has to die in the worst way. That's what mm. den- that's a quote from Denzel Washington when it came to playing the character of Alonzo.
0: Wow, that's wicked.
1: I mean, that makes perfect sense, really. Mm. And he does, he, he does die in a pretty horrible way like, There's well. no,
0: There's no way that character
1: can survive. He's sort of building up to a massive fall. He's, he's juggling so many plates just to stay alive, yeah. and eventually just, they're all going to tumble.
0: It's the the hubris that he's got. You know, he's he's a tragic yeah. figure as a as a result. The the absolute definition of in too deep.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, last one. Right before Hoyt gets into Alonzo's car following Roger's murder. Spoilers. I like how I said spoilers after I said the spoiler. Alonzo can be heard on the phone saying, "Make sure the bathtub is clean." He's presumably speaking with Smiley about killing Jake at that point. Mm. Like, like a little personal note for me. This is the last thing. There's something about the fact that he's a, He's making. He's asking for the bathtub to be clean. I feel like there's. A small modicum of respect for Jake, despite the fact that he knows that he's a problem for him at this point.
0: No, the making the bathtub clean is just so that it's easier to rinse down, so you can get all the blood out, so that it doesn't get in, yeah. so oh, you don't I like get that. anything caught on it. Like, like the that. like, that's, that... <laughs> that's destroyed my fantasy kind I'm, of element. I'm really sorry. Alonzo I mean... Might
1: be a little bit nicer than
0: he is, but okay. Like one of one of the things about <laughs> this film was it taught us really nice ways to kill people with minimal amount of fuss and mess. Is and that I've that really theory? I've really taken that on in my life. I've taken <laughs> not on board you know Well,
1: i mean during all the ritual sacrifice you do uh it, it does make sense although all those sheep you know what i mean they got a lot of hair man a <laughs> you know, so. lot of
0: sheep you
1: know? <laughs> oh, God. No, he doesn't he doesn't sacrifice sheep he doesn't do that i've known i've known giles for many years it's fine. Anyway, that's that's for facts anyway. Fantastic. fantastic.
0: <laughs> Phil, that was just what I needed today. That, was, that was brilliant. I'm, I'm
1: glad to bring some levity into your life. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now for our special guest who I can't wait to introduce to you. He's an old friend. He's a, another Sandy Hill camp alumni, just like Robbie was. And uh, until further notice, he's going to be known as our US correspondent. I'll <laughs> let him introduce himself.
2: Hi, uh, My name is Sean Carlson. I live in Richmond, Virginia, in the states but for seven of the last 10 years i lived in los angeles and uh at one point even applied to be an lapd officer fortunately that didn't take and now i work as a printer here in virginia
0: sean it is an absolute joy to have you on the podcast Uh, i should say for listeners Last time Sean and I spoke, our conversation was cut short by the fact that my wife went into labor. So I'm confident that nothing like that is going to happen this time. So without further ado, we'll get straight into the questions. So first of all, I was interested in every version of LA that you see on screen is always slightly different. Does this depiction of LA resemble your experience of
2: LA at all? My personal experience, not exactly. I mean, that wasn't exactly the neighborhood I was living in. That wasn't the world I was involved in by any means. But in terms of the realistic portrayal of Los Angeles, I thought it was actually very grounded. And I know for a fact that they shot on location in neighborhoods that previously not been allowed access to. They made a really big effort to be as realistic in their portrayal of LA as possible. And I think they got much closer than most movies.
0: Obviously, this film deals heavily with police corruption and brutality. How would you say, how well do you think it reflects
2: that? I think at the time that the movie came out, which is almost 20 years ago now, it seemed very flashy, very over-the-top very, you know, larger than life based off of what I had experienced growing up in the suburbs of Virginia. (laughs) Uh, You know, and this was also, the movie came out right before the Rampart scandal really came to light. And that's still, there's still questions from that investigation that are unanswered today. Uh, I think looking back on it now, given given the state of the world these days, it's a much, it's a very realistic, it's a much more realistic portrayal than I think most people previously knew. Watching it again, I definitely came at it with a very different mindset of what I expect from a police officer, uh, whereas previously it had been very positive. You know, you look to them for safety and protection, and nowadays, you know, I look at them with a, a sense of apprehension and a sense of caution and fear, honestly. Um, I think that this was a really great portrayal of how Denzel Washington was able to play a cop using his power for personal gain, and it's it's a very
0: I mean we saw seems much truer to life. We spent the summer looking at footage of police brutality to protesters all over the country, and I remember seeing on your particular feed that the, even in Richmond, which I always think of as being a comparatively quite a quiet town, you were still getting tear gas there, weren't you?
2: Yeah, I got tear gassed thirty minutes. Before before the state mandated curfew with no warning from the police at wow. a peaceful protest, uh, it was enraging. There, there, it's it's hard to describe how angry I was. And I also had to remind myself that this happened to me once. Yeah. I suffered this sort of injustice once. You know, I'm a relatively young, straight, white man in America. They they don't really come after me or yeah. my demographic. And and to feel that anger and that. That rage at what happened and realize that this is how people live every single day is insane. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that Richmond's a quiet town, and it is. It's a smaller city, uh, you know, compared to new york or la or something Mm -hmm. like that it was also the capital of the confederacy oh wow so when you you want to you want to talk some (laughs) weird history this is where the cia this is where the civil war happened wow Um, the the main street like the main avenue that these protests were happening on is called monument avenue it Uh is called monument avenue because it is used to be littered with statues of predominantly confederate heroes uh most of those statues have since been taken down sometimes by the professionals sometimes by the people
0: yeah that's insane like i went through north carolina very briefly but just seeing the confederate flag bumper stickers and things like that was still quite shocking you know
2: it's it's a really interesting debate that's going on i mean it's it's in my mind there is one correct side i (laughs) don't really see the the logic behind the argument for the confederate flag but it's it's kind of a sign of the times that this conversation has become way more prominent and prevalent uh and it's and it's all just kind of coming to a head things in the states have been incredibly tense for the last four years uh, if not even a little more longer than that but the last six months i mean 2020 in particular has not been fun for anybody but here in the states it feels like it's just a pressure cooker waiting for that that lid to blow off
0: absolutely you mentioned something in passing there a moment ago about the rampart scandal can you expand um, on that for us?
2: So the Rampart Scandal is uh, sort of what Training Day is based off of. Uh, Rampart is a district in LA. It covers a a section of East LA, which when I lived there was a predominantly Hispanic or Latino neighborhood and was known for. There were certainly sections of it that I was told not to go to, unless I had a very clear purpose and usually an escort kind of thing. So I just didn't go there. But the Rampart Scandal was a series of, of corrupt police officers in the crash unit, which was uh, a reaction to gang violence and drugs. And what these officers were doing was shooting people unjustly and planting evidence to frame them for it. They were stealing cocaine from or other drugs from evidence lockups and then selling them back to the streets. They were getting hired out by known gang members and gang affiliates to work private security off the clock. Uh, and then this whole scandal kind of came to a head when one officer in particular, Rafael Perez, which is the character the person that Denzel Washington based uh, Alonso off of. Right, yeah. Uh, he came out, was was caught, but then kind of spilled the beans to the higher-ups about the, the extent of the corruption within the department, and within his unit in particular. And it was a huge, huge, huge deal. Over 70 officers were implicated in criminal wrongdoings while operating as a police officer. But surprisingly, only five people were fired. Of course. It's very fitting. Twelve, I think like seven resigned. Yeah. Were, were, were asked to resign kind of thing. Uh, a few people got some suspensions. But out of 70 officers, all linked to heinous criminal wrongdoing, five were terminated. It's it's pretty uh pretty indicative of, of the state of things here in the States right now.
0: You know what? It reminds me of that line in The Wire, uh, to one of the later series, where it says, well, one of the cops is looking at the, the drug dealer and says, look, you know, if they get something wrong, they get a beat down. If we get something wrong, we get pensioned off early. You know, that's why yep. we're going wrong, you know?
2: Yep. I mean, and you look <coughs> at the other movies, you know, the police are the biggest gang in the States kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how the crash unit operated in the Rampart District was – Using their power and authority and the weight of the badge to bully and and murder and beat and steal and do whatever they wanted.
0: Do you know what, it had quite a massive Im- impact? Because again, this is one of those things where so much of culture and things I learned from rap music, and then years later found out what it was. You know, there's <laughs> a uh, there's a, a mention in an exhibit track called about uh, where he just mentions crooked ass cops in the Rampart District. You know, <laughs> so little things like that. You go, oh, okay, now I know what he was talking about. Now, you know,
2: yeah. Yeah, and and you know, especially when you start thinking about the context of that style of music coming out, like the, the really like really the '90s gangster rap. I mean, you're looking at the Rodney King beatings, the LA riots. Then you have this rampant corruption that's been running through LA for years and years and years and years and and only really just broke, you know, at the turn of the millennium. You wonder why there weren't more issues before this, why the music wasn't even angrier.
0: So at this point, it feels like it's almost baked into the culture. I remember Tupac saying, you know, like they got that guy's beating on tape and he's still waiting for his money. So it's that sense of, it doesn't seem to matter what you do, you're never getting justice, you know? Is there anything more you can tell us about Rafael Perez? Because from what I can tell, he's quite a fascinating
2: character. He seems very... Interesting. Um, from, from all accounts, from what I've, what I've researched, he started off as a, as a much like Jay Coit, like Ethan Hawke in the movie where it's just, you know, I'm here to serve and protect and better my community. And then it wasn't until the war on drugs really took full effect that it became mm-hmm. an us versus them mentality, that it became about numbers and about statistics and less about fixing the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they were they're, they're treating the symptoms, not the disease kind of thing. Um, but Rafael Perez in particular, it's it's fascinating because, I mean, he, he has done time for some of his crimes, I think, hmm. less than he deserves, given the the nature of his, uh, I mean, he stole almost a million dollars worth of cocaine and put it back out on the streets, out of evidence lockers and framed an officer who had shot another officer. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of like police on police violence in this case, yeah. you know, there's undercover cops shooting cops that are associated with gangs because they don't know better, you know, it's... Uh, It was crazy. But uh, Rafael Perez in particular, I know he's come out and tried to apologize and has very openly been like, there's not really anything I can say to atone or make up for what I've done. It's really up to the people to forgive me, Uh, which I think is, is... True. There's nothing he can do to really make up for mm. the culture that he instilled that kind of perpetuates to this day Yeah. of, of that us versus them. Of, I can't speak for the UK in terms of the war on drugs, but here in the States, it's less a war on drugs and more a war on poor. Just, just the way that that's the, the systemic violence and racism that's built into those laws and regulations has just gotten worse and worse and more extreme to this day. And Rafael Perez was kind of at the center of it for LA for a while. Watching the police chiefs, cover it up or deny parts of the investigation or refuse to allow them to continue the investigation into certain areas uh, to make them look better is inexcusable to say the least.
0: Sean, that's some really fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it.
2: Of course, thank you so much for having me.
0: So, Phil, that was Sean Carlson. What would you think? I
1: mean, first of all, I'm looking forward to going for a pint with that guy
0: because
1: <laughs> he, he he seems like the right kind of person to talk about and be like, your country's messed up, mine is too. Let's have like let's be mates. Let's let's, let's get some shots, you know, something <laughs> like that. You know, I, mean, no, I feel like he's definitely the kind of person who's on the right side of history. It was nice to see an insight uh, from somebody who's actually lived in the area for a, an extended period of time has seen how those neighbourhoods are maybe not experienced the same kind of lifestyle but mm. you know he's, he's familiar with the history of it he's seen them from an outside perspective and I feel like that gives you enough context
0: definitely but we talked quite a bit about the um, Rafael Perez character yes um, and apparently he got mixed up in the murder of Biggie Smalls as well of uh, Notorious B.I.G. Oh, really? yeah I can't remember the exact specific specific details, but I think Valletta Wallace, Biggie's mum filed like a a wrongful death suit against the the LAPD, and I think he was one of the people named in it. He was certainly involved in some way, shape or form. uh, That was really shocking. Without further ado, let's get on to (gasps) Finding the Faith in the Film! So, in today's section, what I wanted to talk about was the nature of temptation, because this whole film is essentially the story of one man being tempted towards corruption. Jake is being told to break the rules in order to progress in his career and make detective Alonzo tells Jake at one point give me 18 months and I'll give you a career there's another interesting point later on where he makes a distinction between Jake and his other officers saying my guys are pretty good but they're not leaders they're clowns you're a leader he tries this sort of mixture of of carrot and stick to get Jake to do what he wants to do but it gets nowhere in the end and it's fascinating because I think part of going into this film you had Denzel Washington's star power and the fact that that Denzel had a tendency to play good guys in it. So you go into a film with Denzel Washington assuming he's the good guy and it gradually gets sort of turned around on you, you know?
1: That's that's something that surprised me when I first watched this is that Denzel Washington was playing a bad guy. Exactly. It's very apparent. You get the whiffs of it almost immediately when you meet his character in the film. Yeah. But again, it's it's, it's completely against sort of like the archetype for Denzel and his usual choice in casting. Uh, Yeah, it
0: just threw me off completely. Absolutely. Which which is a
1: good thing. I think because I I I think that's how you're meant to feel.
0: If nothing else, Denzel is normally playing the protagonist, and in this, he's playing the antagonist. We kind of want him to get away with it, but we also kind of don't. Yeah. And so, like I say, this is a temptation story, and one of, if not the most clear example of a temptation story, is the temptation of Christ, which is a, a short section that appears in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's there's barely a mention of it in the Gospel of John. I'll give you the Matthew version. 1st which starts in chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now interestingly this is much more uh, complicated than the version in the Gospel of Mark. I should tell you first of all the gospels have different reputations if you okay. like there's a, a meme going around with the gospel of matthew that says okay for you to understand this is a real person i'm going to give you his entire genealogy first and then for <laughs> for the gospel of luke it's like for you to understand all this i need to give you all the backstory first about how he was born john is like i want you to understand that god this man was really person and he was really god and mark is like all right let's get on with it you know? <laughs> mark's like right god yeah, Nice. Good. God, yes. To illustrate that, let me give you an example of how this story goes in the Gospel of Mark. The spirit yeah. immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels ministering to him. Boom, that's it.
1: I must admire Mark's succinct storytelling. Mark don't have time for
0: this (laughs) back and forth nonsense, you know? Mark's
1: just there, like, I've got to be at markets in a bit. Life needs goat. I'll tell you you what,
0: Mark would have loved Twitter.
1: I like the fact that Mark is like... The Gospel of Mark is basically just like God Twitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? 140 characters or less, man.
0: Oh, good Lord. The Gospels, if they were social media websites. That's fantastic. I
1: tell you what, mate. That's a, that's a meme in itself. And I, I I see you at the forefront of it. Yeah. So mainly because I don't know the Bible. That's the that's that that that
0: um thing. <laughs> Luke would be Facebook. So he'd go into everything and lots of different things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Gospel of Matthew would be linked in, so it's like, okay, there's Jesus, and he's, comes guy, he comes from this guy, who comes from this guy, and who's connected to yeah, that it's all, guy.
1: It's like playing the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, but
0: business. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Gospel of John would have to be Instagram. You know, it'd be lots of inspirational quotes over hazy sunsets and, and all the rest <laughs> of it, you know. I quite like the Gospel of Mark just being like, if you sin, you're bad. Nice yeah. one. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's interesting, I was looking into this, and the Gospel of Mark is one of the earlier Gospels, and the other... Matthew and Luke come later on. Apparently, the the back and forth, the devil says something, then Jesus responds. The similarities between these two accounts suggest that they're both inspired by the same source document and yeah. apparently it's sort of referred to as this theoretical, like, Q document. Nobody's got a name for it, but it's just there must have been something written down about what Jesus said and it was would have been something a bit like this. I, which I, I... I
1: like the fact that it's almost like Chinese whispers almost. I, I don't know if that's like the most politically correct term, but I can't remember. I can't think of the better way, but yeah, like you know, it's just like, well, I remember it this way. Well, I remember yeah. it this way, and I'm going to write and, it this way.
0: You, do you know what things like that make me feel more confident? in the sources that there are these slight discrepancies that it's not exactly the same because if it was exactly the same things you'd, you'd start to you'd be a bit uncertain about it because it'd be too close to each other
1: I think that the, the element of human error does give it a an air of authenticity yeah. that you wouldn't find elsewhere
0: so I'd, yeah I see that I also learned that it wasn't literally out there for 40 days and 40 nights basically 40 days and 40 nights was a phrase just to mean a long time Time, you know? I mean,
1: to be fair, he'd have been 100% dead by the
0: end yeah. of that. It's like saying, uh, oh, I'll be there in a minute, you know, <laughs> as, as if they'd say, they must have been able to travel over incredible distances because he was able to get there in one minute, you know? This is um, where we
1: find out Jesus had a TARDIS. Yeah. Right? <laughs> just, I just, the, that, just,
0: I was really fascinated skin. by that, that thing, in the 40 days, that just means it was, uh, it was ages.
1: Yeah, I quite like that, actually. It, it seems like exactly the kind of thing that you would have said back in day mm. in this sort of like, in sort of older times where yeah. it would have been you know like he was away for 40 days and 40 nights so so he was gone for like 4 days then. yeah the idea like, that like, this
0: 40 days and 40 nights keeps coming back up on, or, like, on or
1: like a long long time yeah. ago or in a flipping ages hence past or yeah like,
0: exactly know? obviously this is the, the what I'm thinking of is, is one of the precedents for a temptation story working on that basis then Alonzo is the devil and Jake is Jesus you know he's, he's constantly yeah. being taken to all these different places and say if you just do what I say if you just get me through this then you'll be rewarded with a medal you'll get the the career people will think you're great all the rest of it and it keeps coming up over and over and over again and then obviously we've got the same thing with with Jesus now I think this relates back to an even earlier temptation story one right at the beginning of the Bible can you guess what it is?
1: No actually I can't I I pretend I don't know the Bible that well but I did go to a Catholic school so I should really know this (laughs) but
0: you know still so if we go all the way back to Genesis 3 uh, verse 1 to 7. I'll read it out to you and see if it starts to sound familiar. Mm -hmm. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which Um... the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took his, of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings.
1: Yeah, I've, I can't Adam and Eve that I didn't get that one.
0: So. <laughs> 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 <Hey>? <laughs> He's firing on all cylinders today, ladies pew, and gentlemen. pew, pew,
1: pew. Yeah. Um... So
0: i was brought up in a in a church or i became a christian in a church where they sort of believed everything in the bible was literally true and whilst i have enough in my head to to think that that a lot of things in there are literally true like uh, Jesus walking on water and all the rest of it. I'm less inclined to believe the creation story as it's written down, but I do think it illustrates a fairly obvious truism about human beings, in that we're all flawed. We're all we all give into temptation at some yeah. form or other. And so what we have by having this sort of the temptation of Jesus and the temptation of Adam put next to each other, what the gospel writers are doing is saying, look, this guy is something else. You know, <laughs> Adam. The translation of Adam just means Man or human. He's saying Adam had everything he could have ever wanted, and he was still tempted. Jesus was out in the desert, he had no food, no water, nowhere to sleep. He would have been in absolute desperation and he still didn't give up. This guy is so much better than the rest of us, even on our best day.
1: Man was up the creek <laughs> yeah. and still was like, actually, you no know what? No, not even thirsty, mate. Not even yeah. thirsty. You
0: know what I mean? No, and that tempt me. And the reason why this is interesting is that temptation is such a massive part of not just uh christians lives but of everybody's lives you know we've all got temptation to deal with in in some way shape or form and being able to see people who can overcome that temptation is really important for us you know christianity is basically one long attempt to try to be like god try to be like jesus and to keep failing and trying again and failing and trying again Mm -hmm. so to be able to see stories where people don't give in to temptation is really important for us
1: so like sean how i said about him before how he's on the right side of history i think that you're you're living life that is definitely Truer than somebody who, you know, who say was like Alonso. Mm. Who is just like, oh, yeah, I fell into this, and this is just the way it is around here on the street. And it's like, but you don't have to be like that. And you, you had a point in your life where you could have said no. Yeah. And you, you didn't say no. And and that has informed the entire rest of your life up until your death. You know, that's the kind of thing that determines it, it, it's, it determines whether you're what, what your rest of your life is going to be after that if you continue to give in to that kind of thing, like, mm. whether you're religious or not. There's got to be a turning point. And I
0: think part of the reason why why I link this so closely to the 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 temptation of Christ is that when I saw this I was 18 and I'd just gone to university you're not going to get more temptation in life than going to university you know no one's going to make you go to lectures no one's going to make you look after yourself or anything else like that so that's where I experienced some of the greatest temptation I had in life I think you know when it comes to all, all, all the kind of vices when it comes to things that we talked about like sex outside of marriage and stuff like that it was really applicable at that time it was a good experience because yes there are some things that you you let go of i never swore before going to university I, it's very surprising to yeah, me. yeah <laughs> and and now i like to make the most of the vocabulary that has been given to me to to I, uh i
1: mean yeah no that's yeah. i can't imagine a giles that hasn't sworn before but not, <laughs> that, not that you swear all the time <laughs> like don't get me wrong but it was just more of a case of like uh oh, Mm. <laughs> he, he he didn't swear before that's, that's something
0: but the things that I think were really important to me they stayed you know they didn't they didn't go anywhere yeah and I think yeah. that's that's really interesting the last thing I wanted to talk about was the distinction between degree and category I don't know if you remember like there's a scene in Luther Luther is talking with Alice Alice and um, Alice Alice <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is just devolve into idris elba impersonations you know <laughs> but they're, they're talking about about murder they're talking about killing and alice gets luther to admit that he, he would sort of kill in, in certain situations and she says okay well in that case the distinction between you and me is one of degree not of category i want to draw your attention to it to one bit in the film that's after jake has saved that girl from being raped by the two junkies and yeah. just as, the, as they're driving away as they're talking about it alonzo is saying to jake oh, i see you got i mean in that chokehold or they warned you about that in the academy something like that you know Yeah, yeah. and yeah. obviously ch- chokehold being is prohibited for obvious reasons you know and then Jake's saying well look I was I was getting my ass kicked what was I supposed to do so it shows you in that area there is one point where Jake is willing to bend the rules and he is willing to break the rules under certain circumstances so yeah. that that tells us that the difference between Jake and Alonso is one of degree not of category that if you, makes sense if he'd put somebody in a chokehold who's asthmatic or whatever and killed them then he's killed them because he's a corrupt cop in in, in the sense that he's he's willing to use what of a better phrase illegal moves. I think <clears> the <throat>
1: thing is though is that he was put in a position where he thought, okay, I need to make sure I save this person. However, mm-hmm. I also need to not die because I have like a wife. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Oh, no, you the... know, like it was, it was it was a matter of self-preservation rather than a matter of exerting power, which is what Alonzo exactly. would do.
0: Exactly. But this draws me onto the point that I wanted to talk about is is that for humans, our sense of being good or bad is one of degree. Mm. It's a case of how many good things have you done versus how many bad things have you done? Do the good things outweigh the bad things? But of course, the, the issue is, is that God doesn't work like that. With God, you are either pure or you're impure. You know, like if you have white paint and you put a yeah. drop of, of black paint in it, then it's... it's no longer pure. Exactly. It's, it's no longer it's pure like white. It's a no, it's no shade gray. of grey. Exactly, exactly, you know? Mm. And this is the thing a lot of people fundamentally struggle with is that when you have a relationship with God, when you sort of come to God and you say, I'm sorry for for everything I've done. Can you please forgive me? And God is like tripping over himself to say yes. Yes, yeah, I forgive you. And then in God's eyes, you're completely pure again. Mm. Everything has been washed away. Everything has been completely erased. And people might be able to remember what you did, but God can't remember what you did. That's something a lot of people outside of Christianity really struggle with because you could see somebody who's been saved and you could say, yeah, but they did this and they did that and they did this and all these things. And and you'd be like, yeah, but God doesn't see that anymore.
1: That is something that I struggle with. Like there there are some people who I look at and I just go... I don't know if you're redeemable.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And,
1: and, and I think maybe I think it really does depend. I mean, like there are some people out there who they're irredeemable in the respect that they can't change, that they can't ask for forgiveness because they believe they're what they're doing is completely correct. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, gonna you,
0: I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna stop you at one point. I'm gonna remind you about uh, the Apostle Paul and the Terminator. Oh, uh, of course, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. the only word I would say is that some people seem to be virtually irredeemable they are practically irrede- they it, they are so bad so committed to things that, that it seems as if they'll never change but yeah. I have to believe that every human being is capable of change no matter how bad they are I have yeah. to believe that no one is completely evil no matter how appealing that idea is because if people were yeah. completely evil it would be easy to just write them off it would be easy to just say well they're bad they're going straight to hell all these there, things it,
1: there are some people I think in the world who I won't say are irredeemable, but are very evil people. Yeah,
0: so, very. Long as you, so long as you add the words, the modifiers virtually or practically, or just something to suggest that you're not dealing with absolutes. Do you know what I mean?
1: Well, only a Sith deals in absolutes, so...
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, ah, ah. and do you know what I think we'd better leave it there because I don't think we're <laughs> going to do any better you know? I
1: feel like that was the best way to end it yeah No,
0: that seems great absolutely <laughs> thank you so much for listening guys we've been a bit more rambly than usual but honestly I think this was exactly the thing I needed right now if you yeah. if you like this episode you might want to check out our BLM bonus episode as it covers some similar subject matter to what we've talked about today Phil have you had a good time
1: oh mate I always have a good time when I'm doing these podcasts but especially this one as well just because it was a film that I never thought to watch before mm. just because I saw it and I thought well yeah it's probably good yeah. but I don't know if it's worth setting aside two hours turns out it totally was <laughs> yeah. and I, I wish I'd watched it sooner but I'm just glad I have now
0: part of the thing I adore is just showing people other films I reckon we should do a podcast that's called I Can't Believe You Haven't Seen That Film I Think You Should Have Seen and just do it well I'm down, man <laughs> 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 so, awesome I'm source alright listeners thank you very much we will see you next time bye bye goddard film is hosted and created by giles goff and phil coleman mixing by phil editing by giles our logo was designed by julie walsh and our theme tune was composed by rick lee waffle editing by natalie austin goddard film is a dask production please rate and review Unless it's a one star, in which case, ring the phone number you hear when you play this episode backwards. After three tones, press the appropriate digit, one through six. Each number corresponds to a bottle bank in a specific location, where you can dead drop your review. At which point, Phil will ascertain the relative merits of your opinion, and write it down in his feelings journal. Good luck.